from the Shumway Theater in downtown Rockford. This is the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, presented by Rockford Writers Guild. Here is your host, Connie Coons. Hi everyone, it's Connie Coons, and you are listening to Season 1, Episode 15 of the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, and it's a bonus episode! Yay! Yay! And it's featuring Dan Libman. Hey! He came back. Yes. Hi! (laughs) Hello! (laughs) How are you? I've never been a bonus. You're a total bonus. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's so exciting because yeah. you've brought somebody very special with you who? Oh, my wife, Molly McNett. Yes, and she's going to join us a little bit later, isn't she? I hope so. Oh, I can't wait. All right. This story yeah. is entitled Charon's Kayak. It's pronounced kayak. Yeah, Ka- Charon's Kayak. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, tell us a little bit. Place us. Uh, it is... It, it, takes place in two great towns of Oregon, Illinois, and um, Houston, Texas. Wait, is that Houston? Yeah, Houston, Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, two of the two of the big power cities. <laughs> and uh, it's about, uh, I don't know, it's about seven pages. Okay. See what you think. All right, let's go. Okay. Oh, the kids can stay this time. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. The kids can stay? Yeah, there's no problem. All right. Come on, kids. <laughs> My dad's wife asked my brother and me to think of anecdotes to tell at his funeral. I was sketching one out, pencil to napkin, at Breaker's Saloon when Mitch came in to see if I wanted some hours. He's about 15 years younger than me and throws me a couple of shifts midweek at his rafting business if the teenagers are otherwise engaged, riding skateboards, or getting high. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing, Mitch has an extra staff t-shirt and a pair of flip-flops some customer left behind. I like spending summer afternoons putting canoes and kayaks in the water, making sure life preservers are snug, warning newbies about the strong currents after the railroad bridge. I'm good with the chit-chat. You folks gonna stay in town for dinner? Alfano's makes a pretty mean lasagna. If you like wings, the Chili Pepper Cafe is the place to go. I'll wrap up the day hosing off the kayaks and paddle boards and putting life vests back in plastic tubs. It's physical and sometimes hard, but I like standing in the water at our launch site behind the old Conover Piano Factory. Our spot is slightly shady from the canopy of old-growth pines, and you can actually hear the river babbling off in the distance. The sound is steady and warm, like a party. I feel like I'm sending customers to float out to some great celebration I wasn't invited to. When the day is over, Mitch escorts me back to Breakers, though it's just a few blocks and I can easily walk myself. Because Mitch is married and his wife likes him, he doesn't get to be in the bars as much as me, and I can tell he's always a little excited to be there. He likes to ask Vic, what's on tap, even though it never changes. Last time he went over and got a wax tub of popcorn for us. I had never seen anyone eat the popcorn at Breakers before. Mitch took a swallow and centered his glass on the coaster. He glanced at my napkin, which Vic had left for me from the morning. All I had written was, Dad was. Real sorry about your father, Mitch said, not for the first time. Burying a dad must be difficult. I told him his wife paid some other guys to do it. All I have to do is fly in and say something. Mitch's dad had died young and was probably a pretty good guy, judging by how Mitch turned out. My dad had made it far enough in life to get a whole new family going, and I had a group of steps whom I was a lot older than and didn't know much about. Mitch checked his watch. I knew he would have only two beers before going home. That was his rule for making sure he didn't turn into an alcoholic. 
One time, one of the rafters called me a drunk because I was unsteady on my feet when I put her son on the river. I corrected her. Not an alcoholic, emotionally dependent. I can go days without a beer, and sometimes I even do. That's my rule. Not being an alcoholic is all about making rules, having a line, and then not crossing it. For example, Mitch won't have more than two beers, and he won't drink before 5 p.m., even in the summer. Sometimes we pick up a group of rafters at the landing site, and they're in a great mood and still have a couple of cans left, so they'll offer us a beer while we're strapping the canoes to the trailer. If it's before 5, Mitch will decline. Me? I think it's bad luck not to drink a beer someone else paid for. For the funeral, I met my brother Russ in Houston. We hadn't seen each other in person for years, but we shared a hotel room, and his wife, Prudence, arranged for his flight to land at about the same time as mine. Her idea was that we could split cab fare and save money, but somehow I ended up renting a car when I bought my plane ticket, which I did using the small screen on my phone. It had to do with a package deal that I thought I was only reading about, but somehow agreed to when all the clicking was done. I had a driver's license, but hadn't owned a car since my divorce. On the flight, I worked on the anecdotes my dad's wife had asked for. My father had given me only two pieces of advice, both bad. The first was to hide a 20 behind my driver's license to bribe a cop if I ever got pulled over. The second was to insist on getting the full can of pop on an airplane. For the price of an airline ticket, don't let them just give you a plastic cup with a bunch of ice and a little coke. I knew both of those would make poor funeral anecdotes, so I let Russ speak for our family, my dad's first family. Russ was nervous, but he had the foresight to wear a tie, and it looked like he had gotten a haircut. He mentioned a couple of family vacations we took, and that dad was good in a crisis, the one to call if you ever got into a car accident. Russ kind of mumbled. I had trouble hearing some of it, and I was standing right next to him. The stepkids did better. One of my stepbrothers wrote a poem, and another managed to get choked up during her anecdote, which actually was about my dad helping her after a traumatizing motorcycle accident, just like Russ had said. I thought that was a bit of a coincidence, but no one remarked upon it, not even Russ. Russ and I skipped the after party and went to a Friday's and had dinner. I would have liked a beer but didn't want to drink in front of him because he was in the program. Since I have that rule about being able to go some days without a drink, it wasn't a big deal. Although, as it turned out, Russ was on his phone a lot texting Prue, so a beer would have been good company. Russ and Prue had a nice relationship, and sometimes I wondered if I didn't have a little bit of a crush on her. Prue had yellow hair like the girls in Archie Comics, and she was efficient and good with schedules. She was the one who told me which flight to get and even offered to buy my ticket. I didn't know if she meant pay for my ticket, and to avoid the awkwardness, I did it myself, which worked out fine, except for ending up with the rental car. I also liked Mitch's wife, and I liked Bonnie, who was married to Vic, the guy who owns Breakers. I tend to develop crushes on all my friends' wives. Sometimes I think it's because it's safe to pine for them, and sometimes I think a crush on a friend's wife is a way of expressing something about how I feel for my male friend. But those are the kind of thoughts that only come to me before beer 30, when I'm being hard on myself. The TV wasn't working in the hotel room Prue got Russ and me, but he started scrolling on his phone anyway, trying to find a meeting. He said Dad's funeral had been tough for him, and he could tell I was in a different place. I didn't react to that. An app told him of a meeting not too far away, but he would need a ride. I still had my keys in my pocket, and we headed out. Maybe you'd find it interesting to attend with me, Russ said. 
When they go around the room, say you're there for support. I said, I'll wait outside. I'm wearing a Bud Light t-shirt. Lots of them will be wearing beer shirts and hats. It's not like you get a new wardrobe when you start the program. Some guy came on the radio and said he wanted to dedicate a song to his deceased father. He identified himself as Mike from Arkansas and said his dad had been gone 15 years, but he still thinks about him literally every day. My dad had been dead only a week, and a couple of times on the plane I had to remind myself why I was flying to Houston. If I thought about him at all, it was along the lines of, man, in the end, he really got away with it. The meeting was in the basement of a church, and Russ knew to go to the back door, even though he had never been to this meeting before, never been to Houston. Seemed like they had just started, but we got two seats in the middle of a long table of men and women drinking coffee, which I could smell was pretty burnt. They were going around saying how long they'd been sober. It didn't matter the length, 30 years or 7 months, everyone got a round of applause. I said, I'm just here to support my brother, as Russ had coached me, which I assumed was the same as, skip me, but everyone clapped anyway. One guy said I was a good man. I didn't feel like a good man, and I immediately wished I hadn't said, just, before saying, here to support. Russ said we were from out of town, and he had three years of sobriety and had come to this meeting because this was his first major tragedy he had gone through sober. I was genuinely surprised to hear our dad's death being described as a tragedy, let alone a major one. The steady drip of coincidences, my stepsister telling a story about a crisis and the guy on the radio talking about his dad turned into a gusher. A woman talked about her dad, who was dead, although she herself was old and her father had died many years ago. She said she was just thinking about her dad for no reason. And then another guy was talking about death, but not his dad's, but he was wearing a White Sox cap. Our dad was a huge White Sox fan. Pretty much all I talked to him about during the last few years of his life was the White Sox and why they weren't good anymore after going all the way in 05. On the way back to the hotel, Russ said he was grateful that I had come with. I wanted to say, I know, you told the group. Instead, I asked, did you notice all the weird coincidences, like the lady with her dad and the White Sox guy, for example? The White Sox guy? The guy with the White Sox cap. You know, Dad's favorite team. Were they? People tend to find meaning where they need meaning. I remember feeling that way at the start of my program, that no matter what anyone said, they were really speaking about my experience. You should pay attention to that feeling. Think about it later. He was texting while talking, and then the red and blues of a police car throbbed in my mirror. I was being pulled over. I thought about the 20 my dad said I should have in my wallet for cops, and I was going to say something to Russ about it. How about that for another coincidence? But the cop went past. He was pulling someone else over. But how could that just happen, that I almost got pulled over the same day I'm thinking about dad's advice? Our flights were early, and he went to call Prue, and I walked across the street to a place called Pocket Change and had a beer. I wondered now that dad was dead if Russ and I would ever talk again. I would miss Prue. As far as my dad went... I decided I would ask for the full cup of Coke on the plane ride tomorrow. Make myself obnoxious. A fitting tribute to the old man. Some old neighbors, the Mendelssohns, came by the Rock River rafters. Your father and I, he said while clasping the double XL life preserver across his massive belly, 
We used to say we were the only ones in the subdivision with jobs. I saw your dad every morning. We were probably the only guys who had to set an alarm. How's he doing? I told him my dad was fine, and I helped him get in the canoe. Mr. Mendelssohn was huge, and his wife was even bigger, but I let her hold my arm and used all my strength to keep the canoe from tipping. I wasn't lying when I said my dad was fine. I just didn't connect his question to my actual dad, who had been dead a month at that point. It seemed like Mr. Mendelssohn had been asking about the dad who drove off to Costello Chemical every morning, the one Mr. Mendelssohn knew, the dad I had when I was 10 years old, and that dad was fine. The dad my stepbrothers and sisters had, the one whose death Russ described as a major tragedy, that's the one who was dead. It wasn't until I was in the rock up to my knees and pushing the canoe off, watching Mr. Mendelssohn work the paddle, did I remember my dad was not fine, that he had died. But I wasn't ashamed of having said the wrong thing. That sort of change takes some getting used to, and I just hadn't thought about it that much. But as my brother advised, I noticed it and took a note and would think about it later. Mr. and Mrs. Mendelssohn paddled into the current just as I had told them to, and I saw him put the paddle back into the canoe and settle in for the ride. Their bodies shifted as they slid toward the dappled sunlight. From the launch site, I can see the exact moment when our customers stop being nervous about the canoe and accept the ride. Their bodies settle. The tension leaves their shoulders as they tuck in for the long float ahead. I watched the Mendelssohns slip under the canopy and listen to the sounds of the babbling water, that lively cacophony, sounding ever more like a party I wasn't going to get to. Incredible story. Oh, thanks. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. There's a lot going thanks on. Thanks for letting me read it. You know, it hasn't been published before. That's the first. That was the first time it was out on the rails. It is our honor to put this oh. out there. Thanks for letting me do it. Are you willing to talk about it? There's some sensitive yeah. subject matter in no, here. No, there's no sensitive. Stuff. Okay, that's fine. All right. So your father is deceased. Mm-hmm. Writing this after somebody as important as him is gone right. is what for you? Well, it, it, first of all, I should say that it's fiction. You know, I did borrow some elements from real life, but it's not it's not 100% true to, to life, I should say that. Okay. Um, I think that I do have a brother, and my actual brother would probably want me to say that that brother in the story is nothing like him. Mm-hmm. Um, Where does your real brother live? He lives in, uh, hang on, he lives in Rochester, New York. Okay, so not in Houston. Not in Houston, no. What's your real brother's name? Mark. I have to ask a couple of questions about your family life, even though this is fiction. I have a sister, too, and see, she's that, that not even it. in the story, but uh, which would, I don't know if that would get her angry, but her name's Amy. Amy. And I was the oldest, and they're, they're uh, younger than I am. Okay, that was going to be my question. Where do you fall in the lineup? The oldest. Okay. And I think they were closer, they're, they're a year apart, and I'm three years and four years older than they are, so oh, okay. they had a kind of different, slightly different relationship to each other than I have to either one of them. And where where's Amy live? She lives in Albuquerque. Oh, that's New cool. New Mexico. Okay, yeah. wonderful. So we picked different quadrants of the country and kind of like camped there. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about what each of your siblings does? Uh, my brother is a physician. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, actually, he's a psychiatrist. Is that a physician? He's a doctor. Okay. Okay. And uh, my uh, my sister just had a baby. She was uh, in. She was a social ser- servant. Mm-hmm. Is that what you say? She was in social services. She was helping people, and uh, she's now raising her child. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing this little tidbit. Thank you for asking. Tell but- me what it's like to have the family that you have, and then to write the way that you do, because you're such a deep, thoughtful, introspective writer. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think though that if you said that in front of my brother and sister, they would have they would heartily disagree. With with you. I don't think that, uh, but you know what it was like for them? I think it was harder for them. We used to go on these family vacations and I would write my journal Mm -hmm. every day. And then I would, I would read it in the evening and they would just disagree with things I had written and argue and, and, uh, you know, all kind of good naturedly, but they, they seemed to feel like I was putting myself front and center and all the stories. And I, and I guess I was, I think that's, that's the writer's, um, sort of impulses to put yourself into the center of every Mm -hmm. story whether you're supposed to be there or not. So like if you read those early journals, it seems like I am kind of planning the vacation and kind of deciding where we're going, even though I'm in third grade, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I want to talk about the river culture, the Mendelssohn's, Mm -hmm. and the White Sox. The reason I'm listing is because we're going to introduce Molly pretty soon. Okay. But I want to make sure I hit on these three points. Yeah. Start with the river culture. Rock River Rafters. What inspired that? Well, the Rock River Rafters is inspired by the White Pelican uh, Rafting Company, which just... uh, opened up in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine named Aaron Seitz runs it. And uh, actually, he and his wife run it. It's sort of a family business. And it's kind of, they've just opened it up two years ago. I think they've done it for two summers now. And uh, it's really sort of uh, opened up this new thing that's going on in Oregon. We've been there for 20 years. And I mean, there's always been some things going on. But now there seems to be a lot more activity there because there's this, there's this people are coming in now. So the restaurants are mm-hmm. getting a little bit more people, certainly in the summer. Mm-hmm. And um, Aaron's uh, brother-in-law, Dominic Cozy, a friend of mine, is running, he's running a, a, like a bike tour. We talked about bikes in another episode. So he's got this hop-on bike tour thing where you can start a bike tour in Oregon and they're they're riding out to different breweries and things like that so there's it's a it's becoming kind of a lively little hub particularly in the summer new like, bars opened up there mm-hmm. sorry oh it's okay uh, like the character in your short story do you also volunteer there sometimes? Do you slap on a T-shirt and a pair of somebody else's flip-flops? Yeah, I don't volunteer. I make them pay me. But oh, okay. Yeah, 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 I do. I'm I sorry. Have, I have worked there. You know, in the first summer, you know, they you know, they were trying to figure it out, so they needed people on the go real mm-hmm. fast. They were so desperate that they actually asked me to work some shifts, and I really love doing it. I mean, the way I described it, it actually is that much fun. The only thing I made up is that it's not really that um, kind of tree line. There's no canopy overhead. Okay. It's very sunny. But, but it is behind the Conover piano factory mm-hmm. if you're ever traveling in beautiful downtown Oregon and want a raft ride um and now uh, my nephew uh, I brought my nephew and so he works for them uh so I don't really get as many shifts as I used to okay do you wear flip-flops no because they're awful right yeah, yeah okay <laughs> I do have a pair of those Vibram shoes you know those finger shoes I do I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about and they work for you the, yeah I, I ran I even ran with them a couple times but now I don't run anymore so I, I just you wear stop them running? I know you're a cyclist but... uh that's why yeah because running's not fun and bicycling is so. okay <laughs> do you run you know what's not fun yeah the what? white socks <laughs> what <laughs> and you know who is fun who Minnesota twins the Minnesota Twins have been fun. Uh, as a White Sox fan, I feel like they're a particularly painful uh, team. You're a Twins fan? I'm a Twins fan, but I'm just kidding. I want oh, to no, hear I about don't. why you love the White Sox. Well, it's it's because uh, I was raised as a White Sox. The reason why I'm a White Sox fan is because my father grew up on the south side of Chicago mm-hmm. near Garfield Park. Mm-hmm. And he was, a, he was a White Sox fan. And so that kind of thing is passed on. 
uh, from the father's side. Uh, unlike male pattern balding, which comes from your mother's side, <laughs> I feel like being a uh, baseball fan, at least in my family, it was passed on from mm-hmm. my, my mother didn't care about baseball that much, but, mm-hmm. but my dad was a passionate White Sox fan, and so we all got that. Even though he moved us out to the northwest suburbs and we grew up amongst Cubs people, mm-hmm. we remained White Sox fans. That's good. So that's your team. That's my team. All right. Do you have any other famous teams that you would like to give a shout out to? Uh, I love the Beloit Snappers. I love the really. And I know they're a Twins uh, farm team. Yep. So I, I, I root for the Twins in that sense, their mm-hmm. farm team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, those those are my big teams. I love the Ice Hogs. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they're also in, they're in. The other story. Bottomless I, Coffee. Right. Topless Dancers. That's right. Yep. Yep. All right, so you like sports, you yeah. have an outdoor life, you love the river, you love cycling. Yep. You love a bar, that's yeah. good. <laughs> We've got it covered, yeah. I mean, what, But what don't you love? Um, oh, there's, uh, I would say most everything else I don't <laughs> love. I, I get tired of uh, politics, although I follow it passionately, mm-hmm. and uh, I get tired of, uh, what don't I like? I don't know. I don't like, um, I don't like eating early. I like okay. to eat late. Okay, that's important. Yep. Uh, one more question before we introduce Molly, and okay. that is the family friends, the Mendelssohns. Uh-huh. And I saw that name when I read your story, and I thought, Mendelssohn, who has that last name? And I Googled it to see if I could find anybody in the white pages. Uh-huh. You know how Googling is. It, it used nothing. to be great, but yeah, now now it's all yields ads. Nothing. And, yeah. yeah, so tell me, is there a Mendelssohn in your life? There used to Felix? be. Yes. There used to be, yeah, Felix Mendelssohn. <laughs> and, um, and there was, I grew up with a kid named Mark Mendelssohn, mm-hmm. and his dad... Um, even though I said before, almost everything in that story is fictitious. Mm-hmm. This you've also hit on another thing that's actually that I drew from real life. Um, he his dad um, also went to work early. I mean, my dad mm-hmm. um, went to work early. He you know he he was a guy who was gone all day long. And he went on long business trips and and he set his alarm and he was gone. And and there were not a lot of other fathers in our neighborhood that did that. But um, Mark Mendelson, who was my friend, his dad did that as well. And his um, I think that quote is actually something that his dad said about my dad once. Okay. And somehow I heard about it and it kind of stuck with me 30 years later. So. I just want to say something about that paragraph and a half where you say, he says, how's your dad? And you say, he's fine. And yeah. that means something to you. And then you thought, and then you write later, because the dad he knows is different than the dad I know, which is different than the dad the steps right. know. I just want to say thank you for writing that. Oh, you're welcome. My own father is deceased. <laughs> oh, I'm and sorry. I, I will, oh, it's okay. Yeah. But I'll say fine to people yeah. who don't know him. And I'll think later on, why didn't I just say yeah. the truth? Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for writing that because coping and reading and dealing brings up interesting it's really It's really bizarre, yeah. I, actually, I do have to say that I, I when I was typing that the first time, I got a little... I thought, oh, this is. I got a little choked up, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't. I'm not that much of a deep feeler, but uh, but yeah, I, there is something about <laughs> um, kind of like the the different the way that we compile. Well, you already said it best. I'll, I'll just stop. Oh, I hit the mic again. It's okay. Jesse's I, gonna kill me. No, Jesse loves you. Okay. All right, and you know who else loves you? Uh, who? Molly McNett. That one. The published writer. The published writer. Okay. Should we bring her in? Should I? Yes. Now, how are you going to do this? Like, is there going to be an iPod that follows you? It's like a bonus webisode. I'm going to say, listeners, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to go get Ms. McNett and bring her in. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. (music) 
Okay, we're back and I have some wonderful news. She's here. She's here. Ms. Molly McNett. Hello. Welcome to the Shumway <laughs> Studio. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. I'm just going to say a couple of things and then we're going to talk as a group. Ms. Molly McNett is the published author of One Dog Happy. Yes. And she's another pushcart winner. I can't get over oh, yeah. this. I know only nominees until this past month. Huh. Now I'm looking at two pushcart winners. <laughs> yep. She's a pushcart winner for her short story, La Pocra Nota, which is published in the 2014 anthology of Best American Short Stories. Correct. It's yes. amazing. <laughs> and we're going to just talk to her a little bit. Because both Molly and Dan are established writers. They're both instructors at Northern Illinois University. They're mm -hmm. both parents. They're of the same kids. Married yeah, yeah. for about 20 years. 20. It'll be 22 this year. Oh, my goodness. Is that right? Yeah. You're the one who keeps yeah, She doesn't ever know. <laughs> I don't really ever know. I should just say it. So it's been 28 years. <laughs> she won't know the difference. And they're married and they're writers. And there are some of you who know how hard this can be. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Two writers, one roof, what's up? <laughs> a lot of arguing for the morning writing time is what it is. Who writes in the morning only? I don't. Well, we don't really do it anymore because the kids have aged out of needing us. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, you should. Well, we, we, had to, we had to swap back and forth usually. We mm -hmm. traded every other day or we would do every weeks, other week. Weeks. Sometimes and weeks. You get this week, I'll get that week. And we were very careful about it. It was not like good natured at all it was, <laughs> if one person got like bonus writing time the other one heard about it mm -hmm. and you were not good natured yeah. about it did i hear that correctly uh no yeah we would not we fought about it a yeah. lot well you know i time it, it's when you're on the other side of it it's hard to remember really but i mm -hmm. guess um yeah we it, we just felt kind of um it kind of seems silly now yeah. but it does. Yeah. <laughs> I would Sorry say about it's that. Silly. It's a value that you're fighting for, <laughs> yeah. for both of you. I think it's mm -hmm. a really intense and important conversation to have. But then I do also remember thinking, you know, I guess after my book came out and I was, it was some reading or something, I, I said, oh, I couldn't have done it without Dan. You know, all of these, she did. every single minute that I got to write on these was because Dan Dan was there and willing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you do, I, I was also sometimes grateful yeah, yeah, right, to right, you. Right, right. <laughs> sometimes Not grateful. always, yeah. We and the other always. person just got the afternoon writing time, which you right. coined the, well, you coined that the, uh, the used goods of writing time. Yeah, was, yeah, just because I don't feel, I don't know, my mind's not good and fresh at that time. And without a lot of caffeine or something like that, mm -hmm. I'm not really any any good in the in the afternoon unless I'm having the whole day I've had stretches of time like that but they're rare mm. <laughs> who among you is yeah. the night writer writer mm. night, writer, night yes. writer not me I yeah not me either overnight mm -mm. anything like that anymore no. not in the cards mm -mm. so morning is your no. fresh writing yeah. time okay yeah, yeah. Well, Molly, obviously you're an excellent writer. You're going to have to come back. Could you please come back, share your writing with us, some old, some new, share your process with us? Oh, I'd love to. That'd sure. Awesome. <laughs> um, Dan, we're going to have to say goodbye to you. What? <laughs> just for a little while. This whole thing was just to get to Molly. I know how <laughs> yes. that works. I'm sorry. All right. Well. But I have to say thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart, from Jesse's heart, for sharing your writing with us. <laughs> thank you. Know, thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. It we, really was. We and, really want you to come um, back. I can't remember when uh, anybody has been so interested in my opinions before. 
Oh, well, we're not even done. A month isn't enough time. So please That's what come I was thinking. Back. Yeah, okay. okay. And thank you for bringing Molly. She's my designated driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Molly, That's a good way to get him anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you so much for popping into the Shamway for just a quick interview, just to say hello, to introduce your work out there. I'm going to read your book. I'm going to read your short oh, story. Boy. And I'm going to be prepared. <laughs> Uh, for May. There'll be a quiz. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm standing before two instructors. That's right. I'm sweating. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to say thank you both. Molly, we'll see you soon. Dan, we'll see you in a few months. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And you know what? Thank I you also, for just having last us. thing, I probably shouldn't say this, but I've always walked past this building and it's just exciting to finally be in here. I mean, for 20 years yeah. I've looked at it's this. It's so cute. Oh. You wonder what's going on inside. So now we know. Now, we're, now we know. Podcasting. Yeah. Come back anytime. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Guilty Pleasures was made possible by Rockford Writers Guild, The Shumway, Rockford Area Arts Council, and you, our listeners. Remember to let us know what you think of Guilty Pleasures by rating us on iTunes, emailing editor at rockfordwritersguild.org, or joining us on social media. Find us on Facebook under Rockford Writers Guild. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Guilty Pleasures. This is your producer, Jesse Coots. Thank you for listening. Now go write. Wow, Connie, you look like you're in a good mood. I am, Dan. Mm, spring has sprung. Has it? How can you tell? I just saw a daffodil. But did it see you? What? Did it see you? What are you talking about? I'm talking about daffodils and the assessment of said daffodils. Daffodils are simple, joyful flowers. No, they're not. They are complex, creative, and difficult to understand. Oh. And you know how they got to be that way? They were forced to, by nature to thrust through crusty hard soil and look at the cold, cruel world. Oh. oh. Spring isn't about happy little daffodils any more than motherhood is about cuddles and kisses. Dan, what has gotten into you? I just read Bahia El Shabazz's essay about motherhood. It's so intense. I've read it too. That's why we're putting her on the April Guilty Pleasures podcast. Until then, take time to smell the daffodils. Daffodils don't have a scent. Sorry. Until the podcast, why don't we advise our listeners to do something more productive? Like what? Go right. <laughs> <laughs>